putting it up there that okay, MSc in view food science and technology with four publications. I've already attended a lot of conferences. I know I'm getting it. I know the CV is getting built up. So I already have a, a very solid three pages of CV. But yet, despite how solid it was, the solidness was getting rejections. Well, what else do these people still need? I know we are talking about love letters, but from experience, I have come to know that the background story is where it starts from. So I'm not going to exactly jump into the path where Badiou got his first rejection. No, of course not. Let's start all over again from the very beginning. One of the things Badiou's story left me with was a deep reflection on where I started and where I am at the moment. I also thought about what having a dream meant to me as a child. And to be frank, it was nothing spectacular. I just wanted to be able to speak good English. Because back then, a young girl like myself had come to my school in Ibadan from Lagos. I was barely five. I heard her speak the smoothest English I've ever heard. And I envied her so much. It was a surprise to us and it was really the stuff of dreams. So when Badiou told me he grew up in a typical village and about his not so funny memories about his difficulty with the English language, it brought back these memories. And I laughed so hard all by myself listening to his stories while producing this podcast. Hi, my name is Yemisi Ojo, and this is what we made of chaos, the love letter series. In this episode, I'll be sharing Badiou's story with you and how he went from being a village boy at Ibora to being the Adbaki of Europe, a name his friends and followers across social media platforms have come to fondly call him. I was raised and born in the village, a very typical village. At least for the first 10 years of my life, I have no idea of what electricity means. Very few private school. The secondary school there has had then, even though I think it has multiplied now. It's no more than 10. And our typical idea of success when I was growing up is for you to probably finish your education and go to Lagos. So Lagos was a very big thing in my village where I grew up. I'm from Ibora. Ibora is a town in Ibarapas central local government in Oyo state of Nigeria. I'm the first child of my father and four other step siblings. However, I'm the only child of my mother. He doesn't look like one. It will never look like one because the village where I grew up it was a communal setup. So that, like they used to say, it takes a village to raise a child. So I would say I was raised by the village. Unlike most typical village boys and ladies, I came from a, an educational background. My, my dad was a retired principal. My mother was also a teacher. So they are both educationists. So that gives you know other option down for you to be so serious and studious about your book. You have 
little less playing ground. It's almost all the time from the classroom back to, yeah, Arabic school. We used to attend Madrasa back in the days. So I attended the first private school in Ibora, at the Okinawan Primary School. And it was the only primary school you could attend while I was growing up, and you could boast of speaking a little or two words in English language. So our private school then what used to be the envy of the town. And in my village, one of the very big things over then is for you to leave your village and attend the secondary school in another community away from Ibora. So around age 11, I left the village for Ubumo short term. So I'm going to a boarding house for the very first time. And that was my first voyage in being a traveling boy. I remember my first days in secondary school. I attended the best private school in my community, so I'm not I'm not a dullard. I was quite very brilliant. However, my English was terrible. We barely communicate in English. And here I am going to a secondary school where the standard has to be. You speak in English language all of the period. So I was uh, I was chastised a couple of times. I actually forgot most of the time, even though it took me so so long before I could get used to it. The English was so terrible. You speak English, you speak a word in English, and everybody makes jest of you. But I had a cousin, two of them actually. They came to visit us in uh, Igbora. So they can only speak English. I can only speak Yoruba. So imagine your cousin coming to visit and spend the holiday with you, and the two of you cannot communicate with one another. So I was actually crying. Earlier, I shared with you my dream of speaking the English language, but it was not exactly a complete story. I skipped an important element of that story. One of the most embarrassing moments for me as a young learner with no English language background. I grew up in Sokoto State, Sokoto as we fondly call it. And one of the memories I had was my first day in school at the Mohamed Bankanamudo Primary School. This was my first time in Sokoto in a long time. I had been in the Southwest and my teachers did not exactly teach me in, in English. They taught in Yoruba. I could read and write English, but I could never speak. Unfortunately for me that day, I met the teacher teaching Hausa. What was it, Arabic? I can't remember. The typical primary school was large, a very big classroom with students in their uniform, a green, white, green uniform, a green head tie, white shirt, green trousers or green skirt, thankfully, because there were no seats in the classes. They were instead just um, stones. So then go out, pick the best stone they could find, bring it to class, stack it close to that of their friend, and sometimes even put their names on it for fear that it would be stolen. So the teacher asked me something in Hausa and I could not respond. Then she asked me in English and I still could not respond. I knew the answer, but I could not respond to her. There was no Hausa. No English, just Yoruba. She got angry and thought I snubbed her. And, and I, she gave me the edge of the long, fresh dogon yaoke she brought to class that day. 
I started speaking Yoruba really loud that I could not speak any of the languages she was speaking to me. My mom had to come to school the next day to intervene and try to convince the teacher that, in fact, I was new and I didn't speak Hausa or Yoruba. My result, along with some of the Igora peeps that uh, attended the secondary school, it shocked so many people. Many people were not expecting people who came from the village to outshine guys who attended the secondary school from Lagos, from uh, Ibadan, from Oyotan, Ogumacho, and so on and so forth that attended the secondary school. I think my first position there was third position. And before I left in 2006, I was already the best in the class. Life doesn't always go as planned and for Badu, it was the same. He could not get into the university as he wished, so he had to change his plans. He went on to a polytechnic he described as fun, but not where I want to be. So I, I finally got to the university after four attempts at jam. And that was when I knew I, I am now in our institution and the likes. However, my two years in polytechnics actually prepared me for the big life in, in, the, in the university. For my first two or three years, I, I was not feeling... In fact, I would say throughout my five years in the university, I have no stress of the university life. I have no stress of the university life. Majority of the things I was taught were things I have had the background for my polytechnic. So while I was thinking the two years in the polytechnic was a waste of time, no, it actually prepared me for the big life in the university. My university was not so much different from the polytechnic days. I picked up from where I left in the polytechnic with the leadership kind of thing. And a little bit, I deviated from academics. I really do not see myself having problem with academics. So I deviated a bit. And I have this crazy notion then that, that I will say one of my regrets. Coming to the university, I, I, I was not planning to have a first class, not at all, even though I have a very decent result. I was very close to decision in my polytechnic. So I, I'm, I'm not aiming for the first class. Especially when I had a story of my uncle then who finished from Futa with 4.47 CGPA. That was very close to first class. So I say, okay, instead of uh, dedicating my time to academics and neglecting other things I could do, I think I could balance the two together. And I saw that one of the easiest things in life in a Nigerian university is to have a two-one. It is as easy as ABC. The only thing you need to do is have equal number of B an equal number of C in equal unit of courses. So you don't even need to have A at all all through your university life to have 3.5. So I was like, 2-1, come on, I'm going to have it. It is not that much of a big deal. So I'm not going to struggle my life for a first last. What I did with my life in the university was leading. It was leading. Most of the time, I couldn't even remember about my academics life in the university. I just knew I would pass and, and I definitely find a way of passing, even though maybe not excellently, at least very good. Then I had nothing, I have no idea about scholarship. If I had have the premonition of a scholarship, I would have studied so hard and possibly, I think I could easily have graduated with that first class. Yeah, and the scholarship aspects, it came at a very late stage, 500 level first semester. That was when I knew that there would be a difference between 4.4 
and 3.5. So 2-1 is not 2-1 in the scholarship realm. There's something known as a strong 2-1. There's something known as maybe a little bit below strong 2-1. But by then, by that 300 level, I will be 500 level rather, when I knew that I will actually need a high CGPA to clinch a scholarship. My CGPA then was a 3.88, which I felt it is not bad. But by that particular period, like they used to say, so I have just two semesters to make Ahmed. And by that period, I was like, wow, even if I'm not going to have first class, which is very impossible, it is, it is automatically impossible anyway. So I aimed for like, okay, let my CGPA be around 4.00, but I was not able to achieve it. By the time I did all like would do, I finally graduated from Federal University of Technology at Korea with a 3.95 out of 5.0. I remember shutting up a mentor of mine then about my low CGP and what I could do. So I devised a means to augment my low CGPA. I intentionally make it an habit to, to do my NYC National Youth Service at the Polytechnic. Coincidentally, with the help of my then head of department in, in the Polytechnic Ibadashaki campus, I got to serve in my alma mater. So I was at the Polytechnic as an assistant lecturer for a year plus. I knew that is going to be a very good addition to my CV. At least that was a great experience for teaching assistantship position if I'm later going to get one. So I thought so much in the polytechnic. I was not I was not used like a copper. I was more like a, a normal lecturer. I was taking like four or five courses in, in a particular year. I was even teaching the HND students. So I had a very beautiful experience in the polytechnic. I knew that teaching assistant position is still not going to be enough. I knew I still do not have a strong CV, yes. So I proceeded to obtain my master's degree for at the Federal University of Technology at Korea. Meanwhile, for the first two years of my scholarship months, I did not start applying. I was only building my CV. So I built my CV from 2017 to 2019. I did not make a single application. I was a little bit sure that it would be a waste of time. I do not have it yet. My 3.95 CGPA with teaching assistantship position, it is not enough. I knew it is not enough. I wouldn't lie to myself. So I did not make a single application. Though I used to count it as one of the years I started applying for scholarship. Yes, it is because I was building that CV for that particular purpose. So I went to FOTA. I obtained my master's degree from to study food science and technology again in FOTA. And meanwhile, I have read a lot from my mentor and I knew all what it takes. So I knew one of the things I could use to boost my application was graduate with distinction for my master's. That was number one. And have as many publications as possible. Remember that I was once a lecturer at the Polytechnic in Baidu and I have the privilege of supervising some few students. So I already have enough paper to write publication on. And apart from that also, I have some uh, very beautiful lecturers at the Federal University of Technology that helped me. We collaborated a lot together. So I was very, very hard working during my master's year. I was studious with my book. This time, no leadership. Uh, I put all of that aside for the big game. So by 2019, 
already have like three or four publications there about. So that was when I started uh, applying for scholarship. Meanwhile, I'm not yet done with my master's, but at least I knew that putting it up there that, okay, MSc in view, food science and technology with four publications. I've already attended a lot of conferences. I knew I'm getting it. I knew the CV is getting built up. So I already have a, a very solid three pages of CV. But yet, despite how solid it was, the solidness was getting rejections. Well, what else do these people still need? CV? Checked. Research papers? Checked. Strong motivation? Check. MSc in view? Check. Yet. Despite his preparations, there seems to be no scholarship in sight. So I'm like, okay, since I didn't get the scholarship in 2019, I'm going to get it in 2020 because then I'm already assured that I will have been done with my MSc, probably with a distinction grade and more publications. So that will give me an edge. So I started applying in 2019. All 2019, I got none. 2020 also, I got none again. And the COVID came and ASU strike disrupted everything. So one of the places I was thinking I'm going to use to boost my CV, it was uh, it was out of the equation. So that means I'm not going to finish from University of Federal University of Technology Korea with my MSc before I start applying for scholarship again in 2020. So I was a little bit dejected with that. Wow. So I concentrated my effort on publication. So all through the ASU strike, I was always writing one manuscript or the other. And by early 2021, when I want to submit my application for the scholarship I later got, I had about 10 publications already. I make sure that I put it in my CV, that MSc review, I'm going to finish in 2021. And almost all my SOP, I will always put something to reflect that I am almost done with a particular MSc and I have so, 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 so experience. And I think I devised another trick. I knew Nigerians really do not like writing IELTS and TOEFL. Majority of the people prefer to collect this letter from their university that they were taught in English language. The second thing was that I knew Nigerians really do not like application fee when it comes to scholarship. So when I was combing the Erasmus Mundo scholarship in 2021, I was specifically looking for Erasmus program that requires IELTS an application fee because I know that place is going to have less competition. So that was what I did. So I went to write IELTS, luckily for me, at the first sitting, I, I had 7.0. In fact, the only Erasmus program I applied for in 2021 were the programs that requires IELTS. And I really have to go to where there will be less competition, actually. I made one risk then also. During the COVID strike, I when I left Futa, I got a job a very little and demeaning job with, with because of the kind of pay how we use the word demeaning. The last job I was doing in Nigeria before I got scholarship was I was being paid 50,000 naira. And when you remove tax from it, it was around 48,500. Not because I do not have the opportunity to go to Lagos and work in the so-called big firms of big industry, but the job I was doing in Ibadan, 
it gives me so much time, so much time. So I knew I would be able to write as much as possible SOP. And I knew if I could take up the opportunity in Lagos, I would barely have time for myself. Most of my life would be spent in traffic, go in the morning and got home in late in the night. So I knew my scholarship application is going to be in jeopardy. So because of that, I left the big pay. I intentionally did not really apply for the big pay that I could have been getting in other cities in, in Lagos for a very small pay in Ibadan because I know with that small pay, at least I have like up to four days for myself. I only go to work and most of the times if I work remotely, so I know I have all the time. If I want to write SOP, write 10 in a day, I could actually do that. And when I finally got that years in uh, March 31st, 2021, I would say I shouldn't be so much surprised, even though it caught me unaware. And by that particular period, I have already applied for 24 scholarship. So I think I got a years at the 25th one. So from 2017, so between those two years of 2019 to 2021, I applied for like 25 scholarship application and I only got just one year. And I applied everywhere. I applied in Africa, I applied in South Africa, I applied in Europe, I applied in North America. The only place I, I would say I was reluctant to apply was uh, Chinese. I think I'm not really going to cope with that language. So I refrain from applying to, but I applied almost everywhere. I could email professor, Canada, almost everywhere in Europe. Love letter stories are really interesting. And in many cases, they make me reflect on my own experience. How do I say this? I believe in divine direction. I didn't think I had as many strategies as bad you had. I mean, what I had, however, was one of conviction. When I started my application, I strongly believed that I should stay in Benue State after my national service year. The conviction was so strong that despite not getting a job for about a year, I was still in Benue State. Two years later, on February 28, 2020, after putting in my last application, I left Benesti to start a job in Abuja. By my one month stay in Abuja, I already had two scholarships sitting pretty in my mail. They were testimonies of my stay in Benue, but way beyond that, that waiting period was the biggest clarification to my life. What I wanted, where I wanted to be, how long I was willing to go to pursue what I wanted. This was the question I asked Badiou about time and how he perceived time. Let's be frank. Some people have tried applying for their life-changing opportunities and got a yes immediately. So why couldn't we? The most people who later got to know me, they are always surprised that I'm religious. To them, I really do not look like one. I look like somebody who is carefree about religiosity and the likes. But in actual fact, I... I'm very religious. Oh, okay, don't let me put very, but I am religious. I believe in the hand of God in everything one is doing. And for a Muslim, there is this belief that everything we do in our life has already been pre-written. Like even before we were born, everything you will do, the steps you will take, everything has been written down. You are only following a script. The only thing there is that 
you don't know where the script was written and you don't know the next direction in that script for you. So I, I believe there is a hand of God in everything I do. That's why talking about tactics and tactics and tactics. Some people use the same tactic also and possibly they were unable to get those things. So I really will not allude my getting scholarship to all of those tactics alone. No, I wouldn't. I would say the hand of God played a prominent role in it. Throughout those periods, I don't think there is ever a day that I will be praying, that I will not pray relating to getting this scholarship like it should happen, it should happen. And everybody who, who is associated with me knew that I am pursuing a scholarship. My mom knew that I'm pursuing a scholarship. I asked him to put it in prayer for me. All my friends, they were aware that I'm pursuing a scholarship and the girlfriends I had then, they, had, they knew that I was pursuing a scholarship. So I was like everybody around me, they should be firing with prayers from all cylinders. Even though I was not patient enough, I there was a time I was so devastated, like, and I stopped applying for scholarship for like four months. That was when I got a rejection from Mandela Road Scholarship in South Africa. Like, I was at the third and final stage, and yet I got that rejection. I used to remember this year Ramadan was a little bit emotional for me. Since 2019, most of my prayers was by 2019. I was praying that okay, by 2020, let my next Ramadan be abroad. It didn't work out. By 2020, I was praying, let my next Ramadan be abroad. By 2021, let my next Ramadan be abroad. And here we are doing the Ramadan in abroad. So I, I will allude it to God's hand and yet all those little, 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 little tactics also. I think they play their role. There is one more thing. For everyone I interviewed for this series, when I asked them Hey, tell me about how you felt when you got your scholarship. They remembered the date exactly, what they were doing, what time of the day, what they did immediately, who they called first, every single detail. It happened March 31st night I can never forget in my life. The very first person I knew I called was my very good friend, Anyole Samuel. He had his MSc in Canada. He's now doing his PhD in the United States of America. So he has been one of the supporting hand for me. He paid for some of my application fee. He's always there to review my SOP as Aunt Wendy. And when I called him, I was just crying. I couldn't talk. I, I was lost for what I was. I was crying. I was in Ebola on that day, luckily for me. I was just crying. And before I knew it, Someone who is a very strong boy was almost getting emotional for me. And we were just on phone. It was a video call for like five minutes. I couldn't talk. I was just crying. That's that's happened. I can't, I can't, I can't believe this. My mom was a primary school teacher in my village. And when she got home and I told her also, the two of us were crying for about an hour. Nobody to actually tell us stuff. It was only the two of us at home. And we were both doing the crying. She was singing, crying. She knelt down. We were both thanking God. We cried till we were tired. <laughs> we cried. So she, that's one of our greatest prayer points also for our only child. When you are seeing your only son, your only child attaining some particular height, you will be so emotional about it. You may try to remember all those days where 
you are so much afraid for betting just one kid and you are like, maybe if this one does not turn up well or it does not turn out well. It's, it's one of the greatest risks, I would say, even though it was not an intentional risk. And I have to wake up the next morning of April 1st for me to believe it was a reality. I still keep on reading the mail again and again and again. Wow. So it is true. I'm going to abroad without spending a cobble. That was, that was good. <laughs> While applying for scholarship, have a life outside scholarship. Because if you are, if the only thing you put your mind about is a scholarship, 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 it could get you dejected a whole lot. Especially when the rejections keep coming. Then persistence is key. You have to be very, very persistent. You have to be very persistent. I see people saying, oh, this scholarship, how did you get it? After I applied to like two or three schools and they said I was not qualified, me, I stopped applying. Ah, there you go. I applied for 25 in, in like two years. So I didn't apply for two or three scholarships. Yeah, some people I know were that lucky to get their scholarship. And everybody's story is not going to be the same. So you have to be very, very persistent. You have to be very persistent. And eventually, when you later get the scholarship, be ready to pay it back. You don't need to be like a typical, let's say this direct mentors to people, but at least indirectly, let your actions mentor and inspire some people. And that was one of the things that brings me like, well, I'm not going to keep silent about uh, this scholarship that I've got. I'm going to propagate it. I want people in my community to know that your background does not really matter. You can get anywhere you want as long as your mind is restricted about it. Like somebody used to say, Dr. Kaleshi, it will say nobody has win until we all win. And that was how Badiou Akinola Akinbode, the village boy from Ibuaba, Oyo State, became a global scholar. Badiou is currently in his second year studying for an MSc in quality and analytical laboratories at the University of Barcelona, Spain, and Dansk University of Technology, Poland, via a fully funded Erasmus Mundus scholarship. You can find him on Twitter as Adbarking of Europe. Thank you for listening to this episode of Love Letters. I hope you have enjoyed listening to Bad You Story and felt inspired by it as I did. Feel free to send feedback to my mail at tmcojoliz at gmail.com and subscribe to the Made of Chaos podcast wherever you listen to podcasts to follow the rest of the series where I bring you more love letters. Special thanks to Bad You for sharing his story. Avi Olua, Noah, and Iwin Lade supported the conceptualization of this story. Jude Hindan and Promise Eze from the Made of Chaos podcast team have been doing a great job of getting the word out on this podcast. So please follow us on Twitter at Made of Chaos. Bye. I'm used to, we are pleased, we are sorry. Yeah, yeah unfortunately. <laughs> we have a lot of application to now say we are pleased. Please for what? <laughs> Please for <laughs>